0: You're listening to Cinepunk. This episode, you remind me of the babe. I'm your host, Robert J.E. Simpson. Bringing together the iconic talents of Monty Python's Terry Jones, Jim Henson's Creature Workshop and David Bowie, Labyrinth was a fairy tale for the era, firmly cemented in the memories of those of us of a certain age as one of the defining films of our collective youth. Does it deserve its exalted status? How do the creatures stand up in the modern era of CGI? And what is it with Bowie's balls? Um, I am joined, as ever, in studio, well, in our in our collective lockdown studios, by my arswell colleagues, Dr. Rachel Kelly, hello, and Ben Simpson, hello. I, I I feel we're we're gonna have to drag Ben through this one. I'm I'm rather <laughs> surprised to, I was surprised to learn just before we started recording. Um,
1: that Ben is not a fan of Labyrinth. Nope. Definitely not a fan of Labyrinth.
0: And you've seen it before, more than once? I,
1: I've seen it a few times and every time I've went, I don't like this film. It's just, just I think okay, so we're we're gonna cut Ben out of the
0: rest of this programme and scroll my mental way. Because what's the point? I can't
1: believe you.
2: <sighs> it's it's all right. He's entitled to be wrong on occasion. It's well is, I spo-
1: <laughs> I just don't think it stands up, like,
2: t- No, and that's in
1: today, you know. Okay. I think
2: that's absolutely fine. And I'm going to spend the next 30 years of my life explaining to you why you're wrong about that. So, okay. yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, this is something we're going to get around to today. We'll, we'll kind of get through this. So, um, Rachel... By contrast, you are a fan.
2: This is one of my all-time favourite films. Um, I could come back to this over and over and over again, and I complete contrast to Ben. For me, this stands up incredibly well, considering the film is more than thirty years old now. I love it. I love everything about it. I can't be objective about this film. I can only just gush lovingly and fanishly about it.
0: I don't, see, I don't know if this is necessarily a good thing when it comes to films. I often think about this when we're putting together the, the ideas that we're going to run with, with on the show. Uh, and sometimes being a fan is great because you get that enthusiasm. Um, you can share your enthusiasm and infect other people with the drive to and desire to actually watch these films. And even whenever you, know, you disagree about something, that, that still comes through. Sometimes being a critic of these films, not liking it, also does the same thing because, you, you you know, it gives you something to talk about. Sometimes when we're a fan, we lose all sense of objectivity.
2: I agree completely, Yep, yeah, and I have none where Labyrinth is concerned. I am dimly aware that there are legitimate criticisms that can be levelled at this film, but I'm very much of the um, idea that I'm just going to stick my fingers in my ears and go, la, 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 <laughs> I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I don't care, I love it, you're not going to make me not love it, I don't care, I love it. Mm-hmm.
0: So there we go, uh, we, we, that, and that was that was uh, silly <laughs> <you listen> <laughs> Don't know. Can we can we bear that? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, okay, so look, let, let let's talk about. Um, do you know much about the film Ben? And in terms of its in how it came to be, no, I don't.
1: TriStar Pictures announces the collaboration of three extraordinary talents. Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets and Dark Crystal. Where you go with a head like that? Hmm?
2: George Lucas, creator of the Star Wars saga.
1: <laughs> and one of the most innovative forces in modern entertainment, David Bowie. <laughs> Together, they will take you into a dazzling world of fantasy and adventure.
2: There's nothing to be afraid of.
1: A world where anything seems possible, and nothing is what it seems. Everything I've done, I've done for you. I move the stars with no one The world of labyrinth. Okay.
0: Um, Did you know it was written by Monty Python's Terry Jones originally?
1: I did not know.
0: Ah, so we've done
2: quite a lot of quite a lot of changes to it since then. But he's still, isn't he? He's the sole credited screenwriter. He's the sole credited
0: screenwriter. Um, There were various people who came along and wrote afterwards. so it, it it's not entirely um it's not how much of Terry is left in the film is, is open to a lot of uh, subjectivity. Um, and there Terry are some himself.
2: changes as well that he's not particularly happy with. Ultimately, I, I'm struggling to remember exactly which ones at this stage, but I know that there were there were some uh, avenues that they the the finished screenplay went down that he wouldn't have gone down and he didn't feel comfortable with.
0: Mm-hmm. I I think you know when you look at some some of stuff. I think is very obviously Terry Jones. Like anything that's that's historical, like is stuff that you can just see Terry's, you know, Terry all over. um, There is the sort of great big old wise man that he encounters, and that's voiced by Michael Horndon, who was also the voice of Paddington Bear. um, Who he encounters, he's got the big kind of
1: chicken thing on his head. That's stimulating. Being
2: your hat
1: is that not uh, actually his head, though the the chicken thing. It's his hat. It's his hat. It's his yes. hat? Yeah. It's his hat,
2: yes.
0: But that, for
1: example, is a, is a
0: Terry Jones creation. I think... um
2: Shaft of Hands is Terry Jones as well.
0: Yeah, although yeah. that in itself, like, for me, that... I mean, so there you've got some of the obvious influences on it as well. That's very clearly Alice in Wonderland territory, where you're kind of going down into the underground. Um, and, and also, there's a bit of cocktail about that for me.
1: There's, um, some, there's a bit of sort of... I don't know, I get like a bit of a Discworld vibe. Mm-hmm. from some of it as well. Yeah. Um,
2: it's very much in that vein, but then I think um Pratchett's Discworld does a lot of borrowing from from the fantasy that was around at that time too. I mean that's that's of an era when Discworld was just, you know, Pratchett was writing from what the late 70s, certainly the early 80s. Um so Discworld would still have been a reasonably new phenomenon at that point. Yeah. So yeah, I, there's a lot of that going around. I mean the 1980s saw a bit of a resurgence in fantasy. Um, I, I have my own theories, as you probably can guess, yeah. but um, <laughs> I, I think that the, the fantasy um, cycle of, of that era was a response to what was going on in the same way that um, the historical epics of the 1960s were a response to what's going on so, um, so, sociopolitically, but um, yeah. What
0: do, you, the, what, what do you mean by that? What, what exactly is going on that, that sort of influences this stuff Well. At that time?
2: No, this is not my era, so that's, i That's fine, I'm just kind of curious of the opinion. I've yeah, got I mean, a really, really firm um, view of this, but it's the, this, the cycle of, of fantasy epics that appear in the 1980s lo- looks to me very similar to like a mini historical epic. And then there's a lot of kind of historical significance and historical symbol- symbolism um, kind of imprinted onto the fantasy epics. You see a lot of um, Greek myth. Re- revitalized in the 1980s. Um, and it's I, I think it's doing something similar to what the historical epic does in terms of allowing um, a nation or a national psyche to kind of in, in, interrogate and investigate what's going on in a moment of, of, of paradigm shift. I mean, you know, 1980s, era of Reagan, era of uh, Reaganomics, um, all of that going on. So you know it's not something i've i've done a lot of work on. i'm sure there's lots of, of of good scholarly stuff out there but there's a lot of a lot of fantasy happening at this time mm. and a lot of it's looking at similar themes labyrinth though is just in and of itself it's just its own little creature
0: they're a pretty dodgy, dodgy film the dodgy film i i was, was going to try and build up to to sort of dodginess but that that is that is just get it right there so ben um i feel that this is where you you possibly are most vocal about this this one what is it that makes labyrinth
1: dodgy for you uh, i think it's the whole young girl and old goblin king kind of this is,
2: this is where i have to go yeah. la 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 because you're so right and i just i i I have to i have to pretend it's not there
1: well you put your fingers in your ears and let's hear ben's, <laughs> ben's thoughts on this like um yeah, it's it's just I don't know. I, I think it's probably because I have kids of my own, and, and it seems like um, I don't know. She's like got this crazy fantasy kind of thing going on, and, uh, and then y- you've got Bowie as the what was his name, Jer- Jared or something, Jareth. J- Jareth. way Jareth. cooler yeah yeah uh, and you began with the G. um uh he, you've got him and then he's like uh, you know i've done everything for you you know mm. he doesn't say like you know love me back kind of thing um but it, i think it's implied you know, he like, does
2: actually say it yeah he does at does the he? end yeah does, love me uh, love me worship me do as i say and i will be your slave
0: which, which in yeah. itself is really really conflicting that there's like a weird um i
2: know
0: codependency within that this is not a healthy setup for any kind of uh, i don't know if i
2: call it codependency it's it's dependency
0: well i mean he's she's gonna do what he says then he's gonna be her slave which yeah. ultimately means that he's gonna do what she says this is a kind of codependency this is this All is right. not not healthy so <laughs> Ben, you think cuz you got kids you're kind of just a little bit more hyper aware about this, is that yeah, it? Yeah,
1: I think so. Yeah. Um I and obviously whenever I watched it when I was younger, um I still didn't like it, then. I I don't know what it was about it that I didn't like whenever I was younger, but I still I still don't like it. now. I
0: I think it's probably the trousers. <clears throat> it's these very very yeah. tight trousers.
2: Can I jump in here as a heterosexual woman? <laughs> and just (laughs) because the trousers believe me the trousers were a big part of of my enjoyment of this
1: it'll show you your dreams
0: but this is not a gift for an ordinary girl who takes care of a screaming
1: baby do you want it then forget the baby
2: I'm not even going to lie, you know, that, it, I saw this in the cinema as an eight-year-old girl, um, and okay, so the trousers thing was less important to eight-year-old me, but I've seen it multiple times since then, and the older I've got, the more I've been like, holy shit, the trousers, um, but I, as an eight-year-old girl, what I was seeing there, <sighs> the, I, I think it's appealing to um, a sort of a, a, a very archetypal princess fantasy, because... You know he's he's objectively very handsome. Um, even if you know no, the 1980s fright wig notwithstanding, I like the fright wig. Um, and she is it's you know that you look at it as basic coming of age parable, um, and it's about her sexual awakening, and it is uh, about um, her understanding her own powers um, and her own responsibilities as an adult. And that 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 ballroom scene um, where the sexual tension is palpable Mm. is is very much about her entering into that kind of adult world and the creators have talked about that it's about um, a child on the threshold of of adulthood entering into a sexualized world where she doesn't yet belong and understanding it but being fascinated by it now all of that i can understand objectively as a little girl i just thought oh cute he loves her Um, and that's that is problematic. I can't argue with that. It is definitely problematic. It's even more problematic when you consider the fact that Jennifer Connelly was only 14. Mm-hmm. The character is 16, but she's 14. Bowie is what? He's nearly 40 at this point, mm-hmm. was it? Yeah, 39 he must have been. I, I can't claim that's okay. I mean, the, the romantic part of this little eight-year-old child who wanted to be a princess and have princes fall in love with her um, will forever be swept up with the romance of that. But ultimately... That's
0: not romantic. That's but th- th- this, is that, it, this is something that. What would you say, Ben? Creepy, creepy, creepy AF. Yeah. But this is something that I think we we've conveyed through um, sort of fairy stories forever, from time immemorial. Yeah. I mean the the idea of the the little kind of girl and the and the dashing prince, um, you know we are still very very used to this idea of May to December relationships on screen or in this case possibly in April to December well April to what June maybe relationship something something a bit odd definitely definitely not not right and that cusp that she is in terms of her own sexual awakening. Um, sort of makes it slightly dangerous territory, but also I suppose makes it slightly interesting. It's not unfamiliar for adolescents to have lustings after people that are a lot older. And and she's really kind of so um, invested in, in the fairy stories herself. Like yeah. it, it is there, it is ever present.
2: I think um, what's really notable as well is that when you listen to the creators talking about it mm. um, and the actors, there's no indication that any one of them have have had this conversation with themselves. Going, is this is, is this that, okay?
0: Is <laughs> <that 'cause laughs> it going not be diff- okay? is this because it's a different age though I mean um, so Brian Frood is the uh, the guy who did the conceptual designs that the mm-hmm. film is largely based upon um, George Lucas is executive producer Jim Henson is the director uh, Jim Henson who's the creator of the Muppets so it's using the Jim uh, the, the Jim Henson creature workshop to create all these wonderful creations as well Terry uh, Terry Jones does the first screenplay, but ultimately it's drafted and redrafted again and again and again and um, it's a lot of men at this point that are involved in this as well, in terms of in, in terms of how the whole storyline was developed. Um, you know, I wonder is that is that maybe part of it, the fact that this is just a bunch of, of, of let's be honest, middle aged men uh, mm. writing and creating this fantasy that's about a teenage girl, um in a world that is largely populated by men as well, there are not very many female characters within this. Not that this is a surprise because this is Hollywood in the 1980s. Women. It's only the one.
1: Oh, oh the, could you count the fairies as one as, as well? As well? In the Possibly fairies. the fairies, yeah. The, we talk- the, I'm talking about the uh, way the-, the lady that's yeah. got all the dump stuff on her back
0: and who just f- feels like she should be played by Terry Gilliam. Um, for me. <laughs> yeah. It's Monty Python and the Holy Grail at that point. <laughs> yeah. You you know who she's she's meant to be? Darth?
1: Um, in the original screenplay, that that's Darth again.
2: Oh, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Ah.
1: And, and I can kind of see that with the, the crazy hair that she has.
2: You can't look where you're going if you don't know where you're going. I'm searching for something. Well, look here. Mm. It's not. Thank you. That's what you were looking for, wasn't
1: it, my dear?
2: Yes, I forgot.
1: Now, why don't you
2: come in
1: here and see if there's anything else you'd like, hmm? <laughs> It's
0: It's basically all about him manipulating all the situations he's constantly try- he's, he's doing two things one is he's trying to entice her further and further into the labyrinth I mean he actually wants her to get to him I yeah. think undeniably Um but the flip side of that is that he's also trying to confuse her and delay her long enough that she has to stay in the labyrinth because if she gets there too quickly um, and she gets the baby then she can leave you know she gets what she wants but what she wants really is what they're trying to say is that she really wants to be him we be with him
2: um, um I'm not 100% sure that is what they're saying. I think there's a fascination and I think there's there's certainly um, a, an attraction probably quite an unknowing attraction there from from Sarah to Jareth. Um I think unknowing. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think she's I think the the whole point of that character is that she is innocent and she doesn't you know they, they say to her at one point their parents said her at one point you know i'd like it if you had a boyfriend so she's really she's so invested in this this fantasy world and i think it's heavily implied that her her, her birth mother who is dead i assume um, um
0: I, f- and I, remember. This is, I think she pops up in there again the original screenplay she's they're, they're separate separated Separ- okay. i think she does visit her in the original right. version
2: okay but there's, there's obviously some kind of mythologization of this 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 original mother. And she's she, she does feel like she's, you know, that the whole point of the story is about how, how she is almost unnaturally trapped in childhood and unwilling to let go of, of the trappings of childhood. And that's part of her journey is to allow herself to grow up um, and to mature a little bit. So I honestly don't know that she is experiencing attraction uh, consciously towards Jareth I think it's really obvious and Bowie when Bowie talks about the role um, he's he's quite clear that he thinks that Jareth is is physically attracted to Sarah mm. um, and and you know I think that you know it's, it's very clear that that's how it's been played and that's how it's being created. So I wouldn't say that she I think she's more involved in the, the, the romance of the idea rather than necessarily the romantic love.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> He's right. He doesn't say much. <laughs>
1: mm. Mm, yeah. um,
0: are are you familiar
1: with Alice in Wonderland, Ben? Um, the, like the Disney yeah one. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. Do you like? Don't like it? Uh, I think as a kid, I used to uh, like it. um some of it I find a bit, um, I don't know, s- scary whenever mm. I watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a youngling. Um, <laughs> I can kind of get the sort of s- s- similarity between, uh, you know, falling down the the rabbit hole and going deeper into this uh, fantasy world where things aren't quite as what they seem. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I've yeah, I've seen I've seen Alice. What, what does uh your um comparison? Are you comparing them to with each other, or I think I mean I think for me there's very definite parallels and
0: lifts from from Alice into Labyrinth, and essentially I suppose they're exploring some of the same ideas. Um, it's not just her. I mean, it's her voyage into uh, another place that may or may not be real. Um, yeah. You know, it's left a little bit uncertain by the end of this film as to whether or not the the world of the labyrinth and the Goblin King is something that is an actual physical space that interacts with this world, or if it's something that's just entirely in her head. Um, and Alice in Wonderland sort of treats those things exactly the same way. Um, there is this sense of this being an adolescent girl who's who's being made to grow up very very suddenly. Um I think there's a is there a stepmother in Alice in Wonderland as well, I
1: suspect.
2: The governess isn't there.
0: Um yeah, I think there's
1: something oh, was she not, yeah. <clears throat> oh I lost see I can get where you're going now because uh, in Alice in Wonderland she, she's reading a book. Mm-hmm. Um Yep. Yep, she's reading then,
0: all about this stuff and then she she's yeah. reading about Wonderland before she goes into
1: Wonderland isn't she? Y- yeah. Yeah. Um and then you've got her um I can't remember her name. Um, well, the reading about the labyrinth, and you know, oh yeah, Sarah, obsessing about about it. And well, if if you watch that opening sequence for this film, is is kind of really really richly
0: um, textured. It sets up so much of what's going to happen uh, and the characters that you're going to see. There's this wonderful swipe across our bedroom and Mm. you'll see there's this funny enough I had missed it when I watched the opening the other night when I was coming to the end again you see um, there's Jareth standing on a plinth in the room you know she's got a model of him looks exactly like him Um, you know some of her her stuffed toys turn up within the film itself Um, whenever they're passing along the bookshelf um, I think it's actually is it Disney's Alice in Wonderland that's on the bookshelf Or, or Snow White Sure. It's I think Disney a book a book of Disney Snow White is on the book bookshelf itself. Yeah. Uh, World the wild things are. Um, I don't know if you knew that one. No. Um, it's an al- another one of the influences. Some, something so much so that they actually had to acknowledge the fact that they ripped it off a little bit.
2: Not so much that book, but another Morris Sendak book, which is about um, a girl going to rescue her baby brother from the king of the goblins. Ah, there we go. <laughs> I forget the name of the book. But, um, I
0: knew all yeah. this the other day whenever we were going to do this <laughs> podcast originally um, but It's where
2: the wild things are that's in the, the, the shot, I don't believe the other books in that shot, but where okay. the wild things are is one of those iconic comic books
0: So, you know, th- there are lots and lots of stuff there and I, I think that this is something we keep on coming back to again in, in, in sort of the show as well, is is this idea about these unreliable narrators these false narratives, this sort of fusion of dream and reality
1: um, Did she escape the labyrinth?
0: Well, that's the question, isn't is she still it? in it because of
1: you know the last bit where all all of the her friends. Well, how do you? What do you feel? Do you feel she escaped or not? No, I don't think she did. You think she's still in there? Yeah, I think she, she's still in there. Yeah. Is She married to the Goblin King.
2: You see, uh, that just makes my little my little girl fantasies come true. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: don't, I, this I, is why
2: I, I can't be objective about this film because there's part of me is still an eight year old girl going, "Oh my god, how romantic!"
1: So, so I don't right. think she married him because I don't think I don't think she she liked she, well she likes how he did things.
2: I mean, canonically, she's if we're talking about the ex- extended universe, etc., etc. Um, there is a, a, a graphic novel, a four-part graphic novel, released um, about twenty years later, which is about Toby going back to the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, canonically, if one takes that to be labyrinth canon. Um, it is all real and um, she's out and Toby goes back in. I haven't read it. not No, no intention of reading it. Probably not going to see whatever the sequel reboot thing is that they're doing either. What
1: think, are what? they doing? Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: uh-huh.
1: They are. Um, I mean, yeah. I am I quite happily will.
0: I, I I mean, for me, I love... Um, part of it for me is, is, is this film brings together some of my favourite things. I mentioned them in the introduction. It's a bit of Monty Python. Mm. Um, there is... A lot of David Bowie, and there's also the the joy of the Jim Henson Creature Workshop. I'm a huge Muppets fan. Um, for me, they're you know I love their creations. They they just I, I love the fantasy about them. I love the the fact that these are things that that are so fantastical, but also they seem very real. Um, so I I mean I'm 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 quite happy, and and for me, I, no I've yet to watch the Dark Crystal uh TV series that's come out. Um, one of Jim Henson's other creations and I have yet to see the new Fraggles um, which is I believe on Apple TV at the moment Um, but if it's a chance to revisit these things I will happily do it I mean it's going to be what it is yes there's no Bowie anymore um, and I can't think of another artist that would be as iconic as him um, which does create its own little problems but nonetheless um, for me it's, it's just fabulous
2: so much of that film to me is about the chemistry it's just the chemistry of the actors and the, the roles
0: well speaking of the chemistry and the actors um, Ben you're probably not aware, I spiritual Rachel is but the alternative to David Bowie can you guess who they might have cast instead
1: who they originally wanted for Jareth oh, some other pop star mm-hmm.
0: some other pop star from the 80s that's big
1: not an MJ well done! Yeah, spot on. I didn't think you'd wow. get that first off. That would have been problematic. I
0: think. <laughs> oh my gosh, Ben has just used our our word. Yeah! Yes. <laughs> hey. Uh, yeah, problematic and a half. Well, I mean, problematic now. Could
1: could you watch that film? No. Today. Yeah. Knowing that. So, um, so the thing is, I, I'm not a big fan of MJ either. Uh-huh. Like I'm, i Like, I don't don't enjoy his music. Mm. I know that's probably sacrilege and some people will lynch me in the street for for (laughs) saying that. No, we we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago when we talked about um, Guy Glitter and Joker. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, like... uh, It'd definitely be a different movie.
2: It changes everything about it, really. I mean, the the whole kind of uh, screen persona that Michael Jackson brings to that is just significantly different than the persona that David Bowie brings to it. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this Michael Michael Jackson's got that that Peter Pan thing about him, you know, the, the boy that never wanted to grow up, uh, which completely changes the relationship between Sarah and Jareth, whereas Bowie's got that sort of otherworldly, um, deeply sexualized, but not 100% of the human race kind of vibe about him which, you know, again that's a, that's a completely different Jarrus If
0: I thought for one second that you were betraying me, I'd be forced to suspend you headfirst in the bog of eternal stench No, your majesty not the eternal
1: stench Oh yes, girl
0: <laughs> And you, sir. How are you enjoying my labyrinths? Well, I suppose what we're doing then is it's a good moment to kind of mention our idea about uh, about what stars actually bring to a film mm. and that uh, Bowie has this on-screen image, this this image that's been built up largely through, through characters that he plays uh, within his multimedia empire. You know, he's frequently the alien. This is, this is Ziggy Stardust. This is the man who fell to Earth. Um, so there is this otherness about him that exists anyway and, and we bring that in every time he does something. You just kind of... I mean, still, he was still doing it in the last year of his life, revisiting mm. some of these alien concepts. This is something that he always set himself, set himself up as. Um, MJ, though, also for me, does have this sort of slightly other quality. Certainly, a bit, maybe a bit more freak show than than, than sort of alien. Mm. But they tapped into that when they did Moonwalker, which wasn't that long after this.
2: I have never seen Moonwalker. You've never I seen either,
1: Moonwalker. Yeah, no. it's, it's one of those films that is just stuck in my head. Um, I would
2: imagine so. <laughs>
1: I didn't know Michael Jackson did any films, to be honest. Yeah, he did a
0: couple. I mean, and you know, if you if you ever watched the video for Thriller, I mean, a lot of this is a bit of fun, directed by by John Landis. um You know, he, he, Michael was capable of, of of performing and of acting as well. Mm-hmm. I think you know you're right. It would be a very very different film, and I think now we'd probably have a little bit more of a difficulty in watching it. Uh, in light of allegations that are made about michael jackson not that david Bowie actually escaped any allegations no
2: its just that it hasn't hit, hit the popular culture consciousness in the same way at all
0: no um so i mean for me when i look at this and we talk about the problem the problematic nature of him and this sort of 14 year old girl there mm. are uh i don't even think there're allegations i mean some of the grippies that he was hanging out with in the 70s were of a comparative age mm. you know and and this this is this is fact but this this is also the the, the issue with this, as time has gone on, the way the attitudes have changed towards those relationships between tar- stars and the public in the seventies. In the um, yeah, just feel we have to acknowledge this before mm. we kind of can, can move on. Um, so we asked the question at the top of the show. Um, since we mentioned the the Muppets, um, does this film still stand up in the
1: modern era of CGI? I don't think so.
2: Yes, it definitely does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like well, it, it's it's only in certain parts. Um I don't think it 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 translates well.
2: You're so, thinking uh, of the, the Chili Down sequence, aren't you? With the, the wild things in the the yeah, swamp. Yeah. yeah.
1: The green screening and that is absolutely horrendous. Henson
2: wasn't happy with that at all. It was the only way they could find around it, but he was never happy with the compositing. Um it was just a, a, an artifact of how they could, they could control the profits. They had, it wasn't even a green screen, it was black screen. They had to get um, everybody dressed in black velvet, so that they completely disappeared into the background. Um, and Henson was never happy with the compositing at all. I, I, I agree with you, that is where the join is most significant. But it's also one of the very first films to make use of computer-generated imagery. Um, or extensive use of computer-generated imagery. That's maybe that mean
1: with the, the bubbles?
2: And... No, the aisle. The aisle the at aisle. the start, that's computer-generated. Yeah. Generated. yeah. Um, it's it's it, it, Nobody sort of flags that one up because it looks so good. Um,
1: uh, well, the the film isn't exactly high quality.
2: <gasps> <gasps> I, I, I can't even <laughs> with this. What? <laughs> what?
1: Explain yourself, brother. <laughs> I mean, like... Like it's it doesn't it looks old. It so I think it would be harder to tell because it looks old. Have your kids seen this? Yes, apparently so. Did they like it or not like it? Uh um, they you know? thought it was scary. They thought it was scary.
2: I tried to get my niece to watch it when she was about five, um, and she it took her years to forgive me. She called it the tra la la film. Um, and every time she came to my house, she would say, Rachel, I don't want to watch the Tra-La-La-La film.
0: <laughs> but Is it's the, brilliant. She has to, she has to preface her, her meeting with you with that because you make her try and watch it on a regular basis? No,
2: oh, no, no. It was just that she found it so traumatic that she was determined that I would never, ever try and get her to watch it again. Wow. Yeah.
1: And, and, and she maybe? wasn't
2: that much younger when she failed to, to, to engage with it at all than I was the first time I saw it and loved it.
0: I mean, it leaves me uneasy. It still leaves me slightly uneasy. And it, as I as I get older, I think it is the relationship between Jareth and Sarah that that causes me most of the problems. Um, the chilies, yeah, I agree, doesn't work at
1: all.
2: Um, oh no, doesn't it doesn't work. It's just it that it could do with it could do with a modern polish, maybe. Favorite to...
1: cut. I mean, <gasps> yeah, I would agree with her.
0: It's also yeah. not but my favorite you... song in the film. But I mean, but Danny John
2: Chills.
0: To... it's rubbish. I, <laughs> I love Danny john Gilles. Um, I think he's an absolutely amazing actor. He's a lot of fun. Well, you clearly don't him love anything. him
2: enough, Robert. That's I the don't, problem. I can't see
0: him. I can only hear his voice. And, you know, it's not enough.
2: You know, and, and I I find that sequence disturbing um, because it's not quite clear how dangerous the wild things are to Sarah, um, and the bit where they're trying to pull her head off. I remember being quite frightened by that as a child. You know, the, when her head doesn't come off, and she goes, "Well, of course it doesn't." Mm-hmm. There are a lot more of them than there are of her, and they think bits are supposed to come off humans, and I find that quite frightening.
0: It's a bit rapey that scene, really, isn't
2: it? I mean, lots of the film is actually a bit rapey to be fair. <laughs> Again, la 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 la. Lots of it is rapey. Can't see it. Don't care. That's that's
1: my that's that's
2: my baseline Some for this. Some of the
1: creatures in that look pretty cool. So what works
0: for you, Ben? I mean, because you, you, you I, I'm asking you because Rachel mm-hmm. is, is is such a, a blind fan of this yeah, that she every, well,
2: works. It's all just brilliant.
0: It, we're struggling to let her hear any criticism at all. But like, as someone who, who's had more problems with it, where is it that... You, you feel it works
1: and whereas you feel it doesn't work so you say like, I, I like I like the go stop
2: it stop it I'll say the words no I mustn't I mustn't say I wish I wish Is she going to say it say what shut Quiet. Up. Uh, you
1: shut up listen she's going okay. to say the words because they, they you know they're touchable like you, you can you could reach out and, and almost touch touch because I can look... just see where Rachel's thinking right now, just stop <coughs> it.
2: What no I'm not. I was just I was visualizing um, the scene was, with dance magic.
1: Was it Pluto? Uh-huh. Ludo, Ludo. Ludo, Ludo? Yeah. Ludo, I don't know. Um that big thing. Like, mm-hmm. It looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Ludo Smell! Where's Hoggle Um I'm not a fan of the uh, uh, what's the, what do you call him? Hoggle. No, but oh. I, I don't like him. But I okay. don't like him for other reasons.
2: Sir Didymus?
1: Yeah, mm. <laughs> I'm not a, not a fan of him. I think he's a bit a bit too gimmicky.
2: I maybe give you that one. All right.
1: Yeah, yeah. and and then his his, his dog, um, like some of that's a real dog, and then some of it's. A terrible looking puppet. (laughs) Uh, You can tell you didn't grow up on Fraggles.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Can I I just say, my sister called her dogs Ludo and Toby after this film. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, dear. Neither (laughs) one is, is with us anymore, unfortunately. Oh. To be fair, Ludo probably should have been called Hoggle, Ludo the dog, because he was much more of a Hoggle than a Ludo. Yeah. But, yeah, still, you live and learn.
1: Okay. Uh, basically, the, the goblins and, and Ludo is, is, I think, where, where it's at strongest. Yeah, you can get the same experience with um, CGI, I don't think. Mm-hmm. No. Um, it would look to... And even CGI, well... Yeah, CGI. It would look too much like the
0: Chili sequence, wouldn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah
1: The whole yeah. way through. Yeah, well, it, it wouldn't would be Hanson.
2: It would be Hanson. I mean, part of the, the whole Henson thing is the fact that they are physically there. You can reach out and touch them. The actors can interact with them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, for me, I, I have always loved that, that practicality of it because, certainly to the eyes of a child, watching this stuff on, like, we're of a certain age. Watching this stuff on VHS um, as a child, you know, the cold, de- degradation, everything else, mm-hmm. um, us being used to a different standard of, of what is and isn't um, high def and detailed, um, you accept a lot of this stuff. And, and there's a part of me that still watches some of these performances, and I go, how do you make that happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, I still watch Sir Didymus jumping on his dog, and there's point in that where i go I, I, how how is they making this puppet work on top of this real dog
2: have you watched inside the labyrinth robert
0: they're, they're not i didn't watch it recently no it's um, and I, I,
2: fascinating i re-watched it getting ready for this it is absolutely fascinating um just the, the the level of of intricacy and thought that goes into making all of this happen
0: i mean i i, I find this watching any of the jim henson stuff i mean there's a great sequence in one of the muppet films where you've got all the muppets out on bicycles riding through a park and like you know you know how they work they're rod puppets and they're riding bicycles it just doesn't make (laughs) sense like I, i i there's still enough of me it allows that child to just be absorbed by the experience to just completely buy into it um i am i am still perpetually a child really And I think that's for me why this film works is because it allows me to tap into that childish mindset, that that
2: point Mm. where,
0: is this stuff real or is it not?
2: I think it demands that you tap into that childish mindset. You've got two main sources of identification here. You've got Sarah, who is a child on the cusp of womanhood, who is actively avoiding maturing into womanhood. Mm. Um, And you have um, Jareth, who is, yeah, okay, a grown man, but he's effectively a spoiled child. Yeah, I'm not I'm Not
0: creeping on no, no teenage girls.
2: Well, you know, ignore the creeping on teenage girls, okay? Ignore that, but set that bit aside.
0: We'll, we'll quote Rachel on that. one. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel's lessons for life. Ignore yeah. the man creeping it, on teenage girls.
2: Put it aside. <laughs> put it aside and just enjoy. <laughs> no, that's so. I know. I Sydney know. Punk
0: arrested
1: in. <laughs> I know.
2: I know. And that's why I can't be objective about this film, is because objectively I know that that's not okay. It's just not okay, and there's no real justification for it, except for the fact that I love this film passionately, and I will always watch it as my eight-year-old self.
0: <laughs> is he? Is she still on the labyrinth? I don't think. I don't think I heard from you what you thought.
2: Me? No. I think. I. I think we have enough encouragement to believe that it was, in fact real life and that she did go through this this uh, maturation experience Um, I think they they, they do had they not had the big sequence at the end where everybody appeared from the labyrinth and had a big party in her bedroom Mm -hmm. um, I think you know I think it would have been left a bit more ambiguous but that to me was the bit where they went yeah totally that's you know it's fine
1: does time move differently in the labyrinth then
2: yes it does. yeah it does absolutely yeah, it's one of those um, liminal spaces, like, you know, where, where it just exists in its own little world and bubble.
0: Yeah. Although, to, to be fair, she has, what, 12 hours in the labyrinth and then. 13. Moses, 13. 13. Robert. Then, but then he skips through a whole bunch of hours mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean, she doesn't actually spend 13 hours in the labyrinth. She spends less time than that.
2: No, but so, her parents go out at, what, eight? No, seven. Seven, because it's time, a big deal. What it's time big do they deal come back at? Midnight. The clock's driving midnight when they get back.
0: So five so, hours?
2: I, I can... Potentially. It depends how many hours he, he cuts out. He'd have to cut out eight, but I don't think he cuts out as many as eight.
0: I'd have to have a look.
2: Yeah. Actually, um, I'm going to go and do this now.
0: <laughs> see, I, I, I mean, I think... Do I think... I mean, no one's asked me, but do I think that, that she escapes the labyrinth? Um, see, part of me wonders if... Uh, part of me thinks it's all still just in her head. I think that this is just a fantasy world, even down to like, for me, the the, the big sequence that that always gets my head going is the Escher sequence,
2: Mm. with with
0: all the staircases going everywhere. Um, And, uh, you know, there's there's an Escher etching on her wall as well, very clearly. So again, this is all stuff that she sees every single day that has been put into this labyrinth. It's a big dream. That's what it feels like to me. It's just a big, massive dream. And at the end of it, she has this choice. And it's the choice I suppose we all face as we go into adulthood is, is is you can either allow yourself to still indulge in this fantasy or you can put it away.
2: Okay, um, well, here's a here's a counter question to you. Does Dorothy actually go to Oz? I uh, mean, to, to me, you're talking about Alice in Wonderland. To me, the clearest yeah. parallel is Wizard of Oz. Um, I think it's a clearer parallel than for um, Alice in Wonderland.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's another very valid... Um, fell part of the same sort of bunch of uh, same same type of of narratives um
2: hero's journey effectively isn't it
0: see i think I, 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 maybe this is me getting to the stage in my life where I, I think it's all just in their heads um, <laughs> they're all mental i why well, I, I think maybe this they've done too much work with mental illness at this point so i just think everyone is just imagining all this stuff The the the, the part of me that's still a kid the part of me that loves being on a set and you know being immersed in that fictional world where when you're playing a part you do believe you're in that space um without a doubt i mean it says for ben like you know we've been on sets and there's no way like when you walked on the set in game of thrones you were in you, you were in Westeros you weren't anywhere else yeah like there is literally a transition you're lining up with the crew you walk on set that's it you're there and yeah. th- you forget what's around you so like I, that part of me wants to believe that this is all real like this this is the real world that they are experiencing these creatures are real it's just why not you can see them
2: i will never not believe that it's real because it's sort of it it robs the film of something for me if it's if it's not real if it's in her head, um, I know where you're coming from, older Robert, but remember this is eight year old Rachel that we're talking about here, <laughs> um, and I you know I could do that as a child I could put on a uh, a fancy dress and pretend to be sarah in the labyrinth with jareth king of the goblins i could do that or i could be whatever i mean i did do stuff like that you know i was forever pretend and play acting and and bringing sisters and 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 friends in with it um but you know there's it's not real and there's always going to be that that level of dissatisfaction with the fact that it's not a real lived experience because the reason you would do it as a child was because you wanted the real lived experience um, so, for me, the fact that Sarah gets to go to the labyrinth, she gets to have this real-lived fairy tale experience and come out the other side, because some of it's really scary. Mm. I mean, it's a complete lack of control. It's a complete failure to obey the laws of the world as we know them. Um, and, and you don't have the tools or the context or the information to, to navigate that world unless you completely submit to the idea that reality doesn't operate as reality inside the labyrinth. But, you know, she comes out the other side the, you know the, the, the handsome hero 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 handsome villain falls madly in love with her and she's able to reject him because he's deeply unhealthy um, and she gets the, the, her little brother and she comes home again having had this this amazing experience so yeah I, I want I it to be real
0: older Robert's just worried about stranger danger I think that's what it comes down to
2: Yeah all right yeah fine <laughs> what, what's,
0: what's that David? David wants to talk about the music.
2: Let's talk about the music. We can't
0: play, I can't sing your songs. We don't have copyright clearance. It's far too expensive.
2: Yeah.
0: Can we talk about my songs?
2: We can. And I think anybody who's seen the film, uh, all we have to do is name the songs and they'll be singing them in their head anyway.
0: (laughs) Yes. It's just like the title of this episode. I mean, you can't help but say it and then want to quote all of it. Yeah. I
2: I have a, a t shirt with it on
0: it. You remind me of the babe?
2: Yes. What babe? The babe with the power. What power? Oh, I do this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the power of voodoo. Voodoo? You do. Do what? Remind me of the babe.
2: See, and I have that on a t shirt. And you, what what can you do when you see that? You have to start singing it in your head. You can't not. It's
1: mm, I'm so doing it right now, catchy,
2: it's <laughs> so iconic. It's just. You're babe. 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 Babe power? Power <laughs> you right. remind me of the babe. Babe with the power. Power of voodoo. You do. Remind me of the babe. A there. I mean I, I find right. you're going to hate me for this Robert but I find Bowie hit and miss to me um, I think that the tunes that have become so iconic for him are just absolute powerhouses, they're amazing tunes, um, other stuff is a bit more like David is indulging himself today, let's just see what happens if I put two notes together that have absolutely no business being together, okay that'll do but the when he when he gets these these powerhouses back, they are amazing tunes um, and you just, I can't I can't sit still when the tunes are happening and I should because I can't dance but they're just amazing tunes
0: Ben you're the musician out of the three of us I mean Rachel just lives with one <laughs> I, I listen to them but you, you're you actually a musician so I want to ask you where
1: you sit on, on music of the film where you sit on, <coughs> on Bowie maybe specifically Um, I think he's a bit of hit and miss to be honest I find all of the tunes in The Labyrinth highly irritating i'm sorry
2: there's just there is there's no bringing ben back from the brink yeah. here is there <laughs> no he's, 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 he's
1: just he's the grumpy guy in the corner this week right. <laughs> like i do like some of bowie's stuff but i don't like any other stuff in 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 this
0: i have to say no i i'm, I'm gonna throw my hands up as probably the slightly obsessive of us
2: yeah that's no that's word. fine you're definitely that
0: of, of, of the th- of the three of us, probably the more Bowie obsessed. Uh, I'm not that obsessed. I got friends who are properly obsessed.
2: You called um, your dog Bowie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, you have a Bowie. I don't know voodoo doll there <laughs> beside you. There was a present from a friend.
0: <laughs> I didn't buy it myself. Ziggy Stardust or whatever. He's I, called I, yeah. I, I I didn't go see um, Lazarus. You know, on Bowie's birthday or anything like that because that would be really creepy and weird. Um, yeah, I. I'm a fan of a lot of Bowie stuff and Bowie in the nineteen eighties is probably his most meh period. <laughs> um, it is when he is his most commercial but also his least artistic. Um, there is some real dirgy trash in there. There are albums like Tonight and Never Let Me Down that just there's some there's some good stuff on it. They probably deserve I I, I probably like them better now than I did when I first heard them, but they're a bit meh. Um and the score for Labyrinth is just a little bit like that as well i mean i am not its biggest fan i've got to be honest um i like i like maybe what two. you're saying robert i like <laughs> maybe two of the song i mean like i love mm-hmm. um you remind me of the babe that, yeah that, for me that that's just yeah, yeah. going underground is it was okay
2: yeah it's not the one that anybody thinks of when they think of Labyrinth No, Even the
0: but it's you know—the makers we, are trying
2: to make you think of it as the
0: labyrinth song. Well, it's the it one that is as, as a single, yeah, you know, and um, it begins
2: either side of the film, but you know,
0: it's not. That. And the other day, I saw the 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 Chilly down song for the first time. That I listened to it—it's hit Bowie's original version of it. So they spent a day in studio, they recorded it with his vocals, and then they did a version without his vocals, which is the one that's in the film and the soundtrack album. Sun
1: goes down.
0: which is a bit of a shame um
2: it makes more sense contextually in the film for it not to be his vocals
0: yeah but this is this is a this is a book i mean i suppose it says something about his ego in some respects that actually he is willing to stand back and have Mm -hmm. his music done by other people Mm -hmm. um and it is something about the bowie films that he often is bringing something else it's not just his star persona it's -hmm. it's also his music that he's bringing to this 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 you know his stamp is on this in a way that it wouldn't be like this isn't just a jim henson film this isn't just a mm-hmm. muppets film absolutely this is as much a Bowie film as it is a henson film
2: and it, um, it would have been as much a x film as whoever they got to play that role um i because,
0: don't necessarily know that that's true uh, i mean i mm. think you, you could have had other performers on this who um maybe wouldn't have had the power to bring in their their own material but i think obviously nobody that they of... were
2: talking to though i mean mick jagger michael jackson folks like that
0: oh, can imagine, i can't really imagine a mick jagger score for this um michael jackson i can see a michael jackson score and i, I can't it pro- and it's a
2: completely different film but i think it probably
0: would have worked okay it would be a different film but it would have worked mm-hmm. um but i think This is just one of those things. I mean, Bowie's got the ability to be orchestral and and write music, not just about writing lyrics and stuff. Um, Interestingly, you know, when you look at something like The Man Who Fell to Earth, which he was asked to score at one point, um, in the end, there was a fight between him and Nick Rogue, and Bowie's music wasn't used. He ended up using it as an album instead. Um, Yeah, I, I mean, for me, this is not. Isn't, I think this is Bowie at his most, one of his most iconic performances mm-hmm. but this is not the best Bowie music that I'll ever listen to and the soundtrack is not an album that I play very often
2: However, can I just interject as somebody for whom this was my introduction to Bowie um, it's a very accessible introduction to Bowie mm-hmm. uh, I mean we didn't have, my parents were not Bowie fans, we didn't have Bowie playing in the house, um, I I didn't actually know who he was when I saw this film the first time um, and that was the first, I, I I know, I do know what you're saying. I completely, I completely understand what you're saying. Uh, this is very 80s Bowie and mm. it is very power ballad. And uh, that's not necessarily, well, it's not really why you listen to David Bowie for the 1980s power ballads. But if you've never come across Bowie before, I think it's enough Bowie to be like a gateway drug. And to, to sort of make you want to go, oh, well, I listen to the other stuff here. And, and maybe... Not if you're eight years old. You're going to be listening to that for a while. You know, you you remind me of the babe. It's it's going to be your limit for a while. But that's, you know, ultimately it's introducing you. It's making him accessible. This is for kids. The film is for kids.
0: I'm I'm still convinced for you, Rachel, it's just all about the trousers.
2: It's a big part about the trousers.
0: (laughs) The big part in the trousers, I think? That's what
2: I tweeted the day he died. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. That was my introduction to Bowie, was the trousers. So...
0: I think it's fair enough. I mean, for me, um, the one thing that that, that sort of lasted with me from the film um, was I I got a set of Chinese balls, Chinese exercise balls, which I know I I got them thinking about Bowie playing with the Mm -hmm. crystal balls on the film.
2: It's not even him, of course, but, you know. No, it's not him. I know. And you don't want to know that, actually. I didn't want to know that, but I had that knowledge forced upon me at an early age.
0: I think there must have been someone who came on Blue Peter or something in the 80s and did a demonstration of this, because I've known this since I was a kid. But it's not him doing it. Yeah, so have I. I. W- was my sister told me? Um, but, like, I, 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 I mean, for me, that was the image. that I, I mean, for me, just seeing him twisting around these very simple, plain crystal balls in his hand and them having all this power and magic. Um, there's something quite hypnotic about that. There mm. is something enticing about it. There is something about the fantasy of the whole film that sucks me in every time. And even though as a kid I found it disturbing in places, there were points where I felt very uncomfortable. And as an adult, I still kind of think that maybe she should just stay at home and stay away from this creepy old man um, who's trying to lure her in with some sweeties. Um, It is, for me, still a a solid, solid film. I want to give us both a chance for a last word before we wrap up. (laughs) So... um, Rachel, last thoughts first.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I will come back to this film for the rest of my life. Um, Every time I sit down to watch it, I am am impressed by how little it has deteriorated for me. Uh, The songs get me every single time. Um, I'm pretty sure that As the World Falls Down was was played at at, at my wedding reception um, because I love it. And i just i I can't not love this film i ca- I can't engage with it academically or objectively. I just have to love it and I think I always will
1: Ben final thoughts mm. on <clears> that personally uh I didn't like it um but feel free to uh try and change my mind um go watch it and and let me let me know what you think of it you think it stands up or or if you enjoy it that's all i'm (laughs) gonna say (laughs) (laughs) so we've got our work cut out to persuade ben that this is a film that's worth visiting
0: and revisiting maybe maybe we just gotta wait for the sequel when the sequel comes out we'll drag ben to the cinema and maybe i'll
1: watch the sequel but i don't know you'd be
2: dragging me to the sequel i'm not not happy about it
1: oh a conversation
0: for an day yeah. um so there you go that that's that the, the group's collective thoughts on labyrinth me um it, as i said in the introduction it is one of the iconic films of my youth it is something that has stuck with me in weird small ways ever since and for me i suppose it is ultimately this idea of allowing ourselves to indulge in our fantasies and our memories and to be taken away into another place that is not this grim reality in which we live that, that makes it so appealing that and I love a good puzzle. There's a very good puzzle on this. Uh, and uh, that, that keeps me very, very happy indeed. Um, look, we'll be interested in your thoughts if you like it. If you don't like it. If you're just obsessed with David's balls, that's fine. Um, but please let us know. Um, you can give us some feedback on our social media channels. Uh, we are on Twitter and Facebook as CinePunked. You'll find us also on Instagram as Cine Film. Uh, We've got our website on cinepunct.com And you can leave comments on there too I discovered the other day People do actually occasionally leave comments Under our our, our posts So that's nice Um, So yeah, interact with us Let us know what you think Find us all individually on social media And and just harass Don't don't harass us Just be nice And have a conversation whether you like it or not, that is that is indeed the case. Uh, you can, if you like this podcast, please do consider subscribing. You'll find it via all good podcast channels. You'll also find details on our website, cinepugged.com. dot com. And uh, we will be back again in your ears very very soon. Uh, it just leaves me um, to thank once again my colleagues Rachel, thank you, and Ben, thanks Robert, and yes, thank you me. <laughs> and uh, we will we will talk to you again very very soon. Um, Go and go and bully yourself silly.